Today I begin a brand new series for three weeks, and the title of the series is the title of my sermon today, which is Undercover Boss. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5 is where I'd like for you to open to. Click, turn, however you open your Bible so you can read along, though I'll have the verse on the, scripture, uh, verse on the screen in a moment. One of the things I've learned over the years is that work is God's idea. It was not my idea, nor was it yours. It wasn't ours. It was God's idea. And there's this interesting TV show titled Undercover Boss. And what happens is that some owner of a company, CEO, CFO, or some other high-powered executive puts on a disguise and finds a low-level job in their company working alongside their employees. And they do that to try to discover what are some of the work, what are some of the issues within the company that are problematic or how the employees actually work. One episode, they featured a gentleman named Todd Peterson, who was a CEO of, of Vivent, which is a home electron or home alarm company, uh, a company that puts in and installs home alarms systems. And when Peterson worked alongside of the coworkers, he was he put on the name Eddie. That was his name, and so they didn't know he was the owner. And what he discovered was that the boots that they were giving their employees were not good enough because. You know, Peterson kept on slipping off the ladder, almost fell a bunch of times, and so he learned certain things. There was a celebrity episode of Undercover Boss, and they featured Gabby Douglas, this Olympic champion. And she put on this disguise, because she's in her 20s, to put on the disguise and took on the name Diane Anderson. And so in Atlanta, she goes to this gymnastics club in their gymnastics studio and says, can you guys teach me about gymnastics studio because I want to open one on the other side of town to reach underprivileged children. And so she acted like she didn't understand gymnastics and then they said, well, you know, you need to really look at the life of Gabby Douglas. She's extraordinary. She said, who's Gabby Douglas? And so she has all this, you know, she's faking this whole thing. Then at the big reveal, she takes off all the disguise and then the kids go crazy when they find out that they're, <laughs> they're, the person that they were idolizing was actually there talking with them and their owners. And so think about it this way. Every day you go to work, and if you're a homemaker with your kids, every day you deal with your kids, undercover boss, God is watching. Jesus starts the conversation on this whole work life in Matthew 5 verse 16 when he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. What he's saying to us is this, work matters. See, many people look at work as just a means to get money to pay their bills and to live a comfortable lifestyle. Jesus had this radical perspective he says, no, 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 that's not why you work. Work is not about you, your gifts, your interest, your benefit. No, take on this completely different perspective. Work is about the value you provide others. See, the value is, it's, it's the light that you bring. He says, let your light shine. That, you know, the end result, the good deeds that you do will glorify your Father in heaven. And so what Jesus is telling us, just like a light 
has no value in of itself. That means the light doesn't say, I love the way I shine. The purpose of the light is to illuminate the space so that those who walk into the room or walk into that area will find light or illumination so they can go about their business and do what they need to do. And so Jesus is saying the same thing holds true when it comes to work. The purpose of your work is that you may be able to provide benefit, added value, flourishing, a good product for those that come in contact with your good deeds. And when that happens... It glorifies your Father which is in heaven. In other words, we have a, a heavenly Father who's really being glorified by what we do and how we do what we do. Paul enters the conversation in Colossians 3 verse 23 when he says, In all the work you're doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. So what Paul is saying is that you have this undercover boss. But the undercover boss, God, he's not looking at you in a punitive way. Let me, see, let, me, let me see how many times I can catch you doing wrong or catch you slacking off. Or if you ever watched Seinfeld and George Costanza working for the Yankees and hiding under the desk when he's supposed to be working. And that's not what God is saying. God's saying, I want to catch you doing good so I can reward you. And not only that, the way you work points people to me. See, Jesus was telling us that when you have God in your life, in terms of a transformed life, having invited Christ in to wash away your sins, the whole outlook you have on work, it takes on a different turn. And so there must be a drastic difference when you work than when that person who is an unbeliever works, no matter what it may be, whether it may be cleaning the street or maybe cleaning commodes or being a physician or being an attorney or being some high-powered executive. God says, when you work, it's not about you. It's about the work value that you produce, your good deeds. When you do that, people are going to know that I'm so intricately involved in your life that you're working not unto yourself, not unto the company, but you're working unto the Lord. I wonder what would happen if you went to your workplace tomorrow. Or if you're a student, your job is school and doing well in school. Your job is not to say, okay, let me see if I can just get a C and just skate through. No, you can't think that way if you're a, a follower of Jesus. you got to think, how can I apply myself the best? And if I'm struggling, how can I get tutoring so I can be able to do the best I can? Why? Because God opened up a door to put you in that university or to put you in that school. And He opened up a door to put you on that job. And He's placed you there so you can be able to cause a greater, a greater level of, of f f flourishing and vitality and economic strength to that company. And so one of the things that helps me and helped me since I became a Christian when I was 20 years old I wasn't always a pastor. I used to work as an environmental engineer. One of the things that helps me is this. I could not make a distinction between the sacred and the secular. When I worked as an environmental engineer, and my area of discipline was sanitary engineering, which is dealing with wastewater treatment and landfills and uh, where does the garbage go and how do you, you know, make the garbage into energy and all that stuff. When I did that, that... I use the same gifts and skills I use now. Content's different. People I served were different. But those gifts that I had as an engineer was still given by God. As is the case, the gifts that God gives me today as a pastor. Same gifts. Same gifts. And so sometimes what we do is we separate them. 
And when we separate them, we do ourselves a disservice and we look at our work in a very negative way. When we say what we do is secular, and then what someone like me who fits into the space of clergy or religious space vocationally, you may say what you do is sacred. No, there is no distinction. The gifts that God gave you to do the work that you do, it is just as sacred as the gifts that God has given me to do the work that I do. And so when you start to, to, to diminish and devalue those gifts, what you're saying in essence is that my work doesn't have the same level of value as your work. Work matters. And God says, if you're going to succeed in the workplace, you must take on the perspective that what you do must exude with the sense of, I am doing something for God to improve the welfare of people and to improve their life. And therefore, my work ethic must sing with this reality that God doesn't just go with me to church. He goes with me to work as well. I must have that perspective. The great German scholar Martin Luther said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes. Because God is interested in good craftsmanship. See, we think we put a little cross on the shoe that we're, doing, we're witnessing. That's not witnessing. The shoe's falling apart, holes are in my shoes. That, that's not witnessing. Witness is when you make a, a good product. Why? Because God loves good product. And then when you do that, Jesus says, your good deeds will bring glory to your Father. So I want you to know, when you go to work tomorrow, or later on today, Undercover Boss is there, watching. And you need to know, regardless as to whether or not your local boss sees you, that shouldn't even make a difference. Because you are so consumed with the reality your theological worldview says work matters to God and I'm going to do the best work that I can. You got to do it that way. When my children were growing up, I used to be the, the parent that would review the homework. And so I remember teaching them. I said, girls, I have two daughters and girls. Whenever you bring your homework to me, always ask yourself this question first. Have I done my best? See, what I used to see is that they would slack off, just don't do everything, do it half right. Why? Dad will catch it. So, no, 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 no. That's not your objective. Your objective is to put your full effort into what you do. And when you present your work to me, you should feel proud about it because it represents your best. If I do catch errors, it means then that I'm help, able to help you, but not because you slacked off. Work matters. In Luke 13 and verse 6, the scripture says, Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years, and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Seemed cool. Jesus was saying this. 
What I extract from the scripture is this. Productivity matters. See, when you work, it's not just about working. Oh, I'm working. I'm going to work. No, 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 no. That's just part of the equation. Are you productive? Do you get things done and done well? Do you accomplish the goal as to why you're hired? I never heard anybody say, I'm hiring someone just to fill a slot. I hear people say, I'm hiring someone to do a, a job, a task, to fulfill and accomplish a specific task. See, the primary purpose of the fig tree was not just to take up space in the garden. In fact, the owner of the garden complained to the gardener, said, this fig tree, it's not bearing figs. Three years I've been watching it, inspecting, analyzing, assessing, evaluating it. And each year, for three successive years, it's been unfruitful. And so what Jesus is telling us is this. Just like the fig tree's primary purpose is to bear figs, the employee's primary purpose is to be productive in their job. And so a worker is without value when he or she ceases to be productive. And I know this is hard. But it's morally, ethically, and financially right to let go of unproductive workers. I don't know, sometimes we don't like that. Oh, I don't want to see anybody fired. Sometimes the worst thing we can do is not fire a person. It's morally, ethically, and financially wrong to keep unproductive employees in any level of any organization. You may say, why is it wrong? Unproductive workers affect the morale of all the other workers. They really do. Unproductive employees limit the potential of the organization. It can't fulfill its goal, its potential, its level of influence. Just like the gardener was intentional to put fertilizer and make sure it has the right amount of water, to make sure it's pruned properly, so that the underperforming fig tree can really perform. And if it doesn't perform, the decision was to made, cut it down. That showed proper stewardship. I want you to see how necessary it is, this whole thing of productivity. It matters to God. Jesus introduced it. I mean, we've all been around people that are lazy. I remember when I first got married, my, my wife, I found out, you know, she, I knew she played the piano, but then her dad says to her, Marlinda, we have your piano at home. You need to take it to your apartment. You and David need to come get it. Went down there, this 500-pound piano. Like it was in the 1800s, one of those uprights. I mean, it's huge and old. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to put this huge, old, ugly-looking piano. I got to take it. So I got movers, and they put it on the truck, and then I took the U-Haul truck, drove it up to North Jersey. They were in South Jersey, drove it two hours up. And then when I got there, the guys who were supposed to come and help me take the piano off the truck, and then we were living on a second-floor apartment to carry it up the steps and push us on it. The guys never showed up. So I'm there by myself, so I'm saying, what am I going to do now? So I figured, you know, you, know, you just got to be resourceful. So I just uh, saw three big guys walking down the street. I said, hey, you guys want to make $20 a piece? They said, sure, what do we need to do? I mean, a good, good thing wasn't to rub somebody over or rub somebody out. I mean, it was just, I, said, I just want you to help me carry this piano out of this truck and up the steps. They said, okay, cool. Now, we carried it up the steps, and then we were able to put it properly. But what would have happened if one of the guys was really, oh, this... 
and he's not doing anything. Just using one finger. I peek around, he's using one finger. He's not doing anything, just wants 20 bucks. So that's why I paid them at the end of the job and not at the beginning. I just want to make sure. But the idea that we all know people that really just show up because work matters, but they're very unproductive. And so we have a problem with people like that. I have a problem with people like that. If you don't, you might be one of those people. In 2015, August of 2015, the New York Times did a big expose on Amazon. And they interviewed over 100 employees. And Amazon has all the employees sign a document that they will not talk to media or anything. And so these guys were already doing things that were, you know, shady. So they kept everything anonymous. And it was clear, many of the employees says, at Amazon when you work here, the company is purposefully Darwinian. What do you mean by that? Darwin's theory that the strong survive. And so they said, if you're unproductive, if you're not cutting the mustard, you get cut. In fact, they cut 10% of their workforce every year, the, the ones who are least productive. One guy who's out in the hospital having cancer, they got chemo, came back to work, and they wrote him up. They said, your productivity has dropped. He said, I just had chemo. <laughs> just, I mean, and so there was a real, a real black eye. But when you think about Jeff Bezos and why is Amazon so successful, here's one of the quotes from Jeff Bezos to his, to his board of trustees in 1997. Quote, you can work long, hard, or smart, but at Amazon.com, you can't choose two out of the three. That means you better work long, hard, and smart, or else. Let's really take a little nosedive. Let's go deeper into this thing, because productive people are found in every space, whether you work in a religious space, or you work in the educational, or business, whatever space a person may work in, you'll find productive people. What are the traits of people that are very productive? One trait is that they know what's important. They do the right things at the right time. You can do the right things at the wrong time and not be productive because you're working on the wrong things. They manage their time like you manage money. Productive people are highly focused. They work based on their energy level. And they manage distractions so that the distractions are low. Now, I like to consider myself a productive person. Anybody who plants a church and it becomes a mega church has to be very productive and very focused. I don't let anybody get close to me who distracts me because I have too much at stake to pastor a church of 9,000 people and be distracted. So I'm very, very focused. I notice, though, that my energy level has been waning. And when I'm driving home after three services on the weekend, Saturday night and then the two services... I'm more exhausted than I've ever been. And I reached out to a nutritionist. I said, tell me what's going on. And I said, what vitamins do I need to take as a 57-year-old male? What should be my food source and the frequency of what I eat because something's amiss? And she laid out a plan. And my energy level began to soar. See, I realized that how I ate and, what I, and, and the vitamins I took when I was 30 years old is not adequate at 57. And sometimes we're not as productive and we think that well, maybe we're lazy or maybe we don't like the company. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a nutritional issue. 
Maybe it's a, a medical issue. Maybe it's a motivational issue and you need to sit in the office of a therapist and work out why there's this lag. But when you deal with people that are, that are productive, they, are, they know what's important, they're highly focused, and they protect priorities. When you get around these people, they guard what is priority, their world and their work. Productive people are problem solvers. That's how they focus on look at what they do. They solve problems one after the other after the other. This is where you should be pulling out your phone and taking a picture. So you remind yourself when you sit in the workplace tomorrow, I'm going to be one of those productive people. So when I look at the word productive people, I see your picture in the dictionary. Because productive people are forever learning. They're reading books on how to manage their energy. They're reading books on how to be able to use their time more, more wisely. They're, they're, they're being so sagacious in how they approach it. They, get, they have coaches in their lives, people that help them. They coach them on what to do in order to make sure their career is more effective and efficient. And Why? Because if you're going to be productive and highly productive, Jesus says that, hey, if you're unproductive, you are of very little value. But if, in, the sense, in the sense of work, workplace and work ethic but value all it's like sometimes i jokingly say to someone you know this this lady's a very nice lady but she's very unproductive i'm not looking for a wife i got a wife i need somebody who's productive nudge, nudge the person next to you and say that's that's tight but it's right <laughs> so what we look at when you with the issue of, of work is that work matters and productivity matters. Then Jesus chimes in again and he says in, Mark, in Matthew 5 verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Now, I have a problem with this verse. Jesus was alluding to the method of behavior of Roman soldiers. In first century, a Roman soldier could just stop you and give you his backpack and say, take it, carry it for me. Because the Roman government did not want their soldiers to be worn out when they got to the battle. They're tired. They can't fight. So they would give you a, a Jewish person or a, a foreigner. They would give you their backpack and you had to carry it for a maximum of one mile. And if you didn't, you can get flogged. So how many would you carry in the backpack one mile? Me, please. <laughs> now, I have some friends that went on a missions trip in Kenya, and they were running late to get to the airport, and on top of that, their car broke down. Police came over to the highway and said, what's going on? The Kenyan said, I have these two American guests that they need to get to the airport. The car broke down. And the police officer just, he stood in the road, and he's, the next car that was coming, he flagged them over, and they came over. He said, I have these two Americans, they need to get to the airport, take them. And so the Kenyans in that car, they took the two American friends and they just smiled and went along. Now, we Americans, we don't do stuff like that. <laughs> we won't, we, you can flag us down and we may get intimidated and take them for about until we're out of sight and then get out and throw them out of the car. Get out of my car. I'm not going to the airport. I'm not. <laughs> but I want you to understand the mindset though. And so first century, Jesus says, look, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
When the postal system that was established by Cyrus the Great, the king of Persia, they had a system in place that the postal carry when the back was, bag was getting heavy, they can get any citizen to take it for a mile. The Roman government took that principle and applied it to their soldiers. So the Jewish people and foreigners were angry when they had to do that. Jesus then introduced this radical perspective. He says, if anyone forced you to carry their bag for a mile, you carry it two miles. With that kind of theological, theological thought and philosophical worldview introduced to Christ followers, it made Christians so radically different that when they worked, everyone wanted to hire a Christian because these people were the two mile kinds of people. That's why you went from 120 Christians in the upper room to millions of Christians. Why? Because this radical change in how we look at work, it introduces to us a whole concept that we must say, I have to apply it today to my work life. And that is, attitude matters. Question, are you a second mile person on your job? I began the sermon by saying work is God's idea. So before we accepted Christ as Savior, I know I did. I lived my life recklessly, and I only concerned myself with myself, and I didn't even realize I was concerning myself with Satan's interest. And yet, when we come to Christ, we must concern ourselves with Christ's interest and his teachings and the attitude he's calling us to have. At what point can you say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't want to change anymore. I don't want to live out my life with any more of your philosophies and value. We can't if we consider ourselves a Christ follower. Therefore, we must look at our attitude. See, attitude speaks about your manner of dispos and disposition, your feelings that, you, that, that, that silently comes out of you towards persons or people or things. And so your attitude, it really dictates how far you'll go vocationally. I don't care how smart you are. If your attitude's nasty, nobody wants to be around a, a smart person, especially when they're nasty. Because they make you feel stupid. And then they have the audacity because they're smarter than you. They tell you you're stupid. And it hurts. In the airplane, there's an instrument called an attitude indicator. And that instrument, it tells you when the airplane, the nose of the airplane, the tip, when it's heading above the horizon, the horizon's there, as it's heading up, climbing in the sky, it's said to have a high nose or nose high. And so your attitude indicator speaks of your performance capacity and performance potential. And so if you want to climb the ladder in your vocation, you have to have a nose high attitude. In other words, your attitude must be positive and honoring. And it must be humble enough that when, as if Jesus used the example, if someone asks you to carry their bag for one mile, you'll carry it too. So it requires humility on my part. It requires me saying that, you know, I got to learn how to serve my family and serve my company and serve my coworkers and serve my boss. And I got to not think I'm better than and I deserve this and I'm supposed to have this. And even though that those things may be true, but there's part of it that if I'm going to be that two mile kind of person, I have to then have a good attitude. Attitude makes all the difference in the world. It really does. I love what Chuck Swindoll said. Noted Bible scholar and author, he says, attitude is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than what people do or say. 
It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. So this attitude you have is supposed to reflect all that. Question, what's your attitude on the job? What, 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 what's your attitude? And you may say, well, I, I work at home. I work, you know, I'm a homemaker. Well, what's your attitude with your kids? Because working at home is hard. When my kids were small, I remember my wife went on a conference to Texas. I still remember the state because I have bad memories. I had no problem with cooking. I had no problem with, you know, making sure their clothes were taken out for school and ironed and that they brushed their teeth and had their bath. All, I had no problems with that. I had one problem. I couldn't do hair. And so I'm thinking, uh, my hands look like twice the size. I'm trying to, how do I, and my wife would braid the hair. How do I braid the hair? My hand, it's all, I, I had no idea. And I didn't want my daughters to go to school just looking crazy and just give them a big cap. Here, wear the Yankees hat. <laughs> you wear the Mets cap. I, mean, just, I, I don't want to do that. So what I decided, I called up one of the ladies at the church who, who, who had daughters and she knew how to do that. And so she was a very present help in time of trouble. <laughs> I was so welcoming with Pastor Molinda when she returned home. She may have thought I missed her. No, 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 I missed her here. <laughs> Don't tell her. <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, no matter what you do, what kind of space you work in, work, work is hard stuff. And you have to have the right attitude, though. Attitude makes all the difference in the world. Legend tells us that there was this king, and he wanted to really train people in his kingdom to have good attitude. So in an unsuspecting way, he placed this huge boulder in the main thoroughfare. Every person walking by, driving by on their chariots or pulling their buggies, whatever they were doing, they would see the big boulder in the road and they'll just go over on the embankment and squeeze around. And some of them, the bushy folks, would just curse the kings. and want this king clean up his road and do something right with all our tax dollars. And so that's what they're doing, go on their way. And one day this real poor servant, peasant type of guy, he's going to market with his vegetables, riding in his beat-up wagon. He gets to the boulder and he does something so different. He gets out of the, out of the, the buggy and, and he tries with all of his strength. And after some time, he's able to dislodge the stone from the, from, from the road and push it off to the side of the road so it's out of the way. And he gets back in his buggy, about to go on his journey to the market. And he stops and he looks and he sees this bag in the very spot where the boulder was. Gets down off his buggy, goes over and grabs the bag in it all these gold coins, a lot of money. And there was a note in it from the king saying, this bag of gold goes to the person who moves the boulder. I was looking for people in my kingdom to have a good attitude and work ethic. Thank you for moving the boulder. That servant was so happy as he went on his way to market. I wonder what your attitude is on your job. How do your coworkers feel about you? How do your dorm mates feel about you when you enter the dorm? Does it, is there a cloud that comes over, it's about to go down? Or do they feel the sense of peace that you're there? This builder 
He's been working as a carpenter for about 30 years, and he was just tired. He's about to retire. So he goes to the owner of the construction company and says, uh, Sir, I, I want to retire. I'm just, I'm, I'm tired. And the owner says, John, could you do me one favor? He said, what is it, boss? He said, I just want you to build one more house. And so against his better judgment, he says, okay. And so he took the next two months to build his house, and he was so tired, and he's shaving corners. The walls are not as plumb and flat and, and straight as they normally would have little crook, crookedness to it. When he put on the, you know, the doorknobs, they, they didn't work quite well. And, and he finished up, and he came at the end of two months, and he said, Boss, I've finished the house. It's done. And the boss went into his pocket and took out keys for the front door and says, John, you've been such a good employee these 30 years. I want to gift you this house. And when he caught the keys, he couldn't smile that well because he knew that his attitude and the work product was not so stellar. Question, how are you working on your job? Work matters. Productivity matters. Attitude matters. And I believe God is intimately involved in our work life and wants to help us to thrive in fact, I want to pray with you about that very thing right now.